The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. Hi, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Glad to have you with me today. It is a little chilly, but we will manage. And many of you are managing, perhaps at home, or managing to find child care for your kids because it is indeed a snow day. And there's going to be a couple of more of them coming, given the cold temperatures that are likely going to be descending on our region as the day goes on today. So, You've got to scramble today. So we're going to talk about a few different aspects about kids and school and school closings and child care and all that good stuff. It is a kid's day here on the program. Your kids aren't going to find it that interesting, but you might. We're going to talk about the state of education funding here in the state. One, are we investing enough to make sure our kids are getting the best education possible? A new study says no, so we'll talk about that. Two, We're going to talk about child care and the accessibility of affordable child care here in the state of Michigan. The people most in need of child care can afford it the least, and they get the least help in the nation here in the state of Michigan. We'll talk about that. And third, school closings. Boy, does this make you guys upset. I saw all kinds of postings on social media over the last few days about parents who were upset that school wasn't called earlier, it was called late, or the kids got to go home. I realize it's a pain in the butt. But weather is an imperfect science. So we'll talk a little bit about the collective freakout we have over school closings. Stay with us. A lot to talk about on today's Craig Folly Show. Some good information and a little bit of fun. Hang with me. This is the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Thank you very much for joining me on this Tuesday. And for many of you parents, it is a snow day. You're home with the kids today, probably struggling with some things to keep them busy since it's going to be frigid cold outside or struggling to find childcare as you go to work. But it's also important to know that your kids are not in school today, maybe saving the district a little bit of money, which might be something that they frankly need given where we are with school funding here in Michigan. It's been 25 years now since Proposal A changed the way that the state pays for schools. I was there for that debate back in 1994 in the state capitol when they made this huge change in Proposal A. And what has it meant for schools? Where are they when it comes to per-pupil expenditures? Well, this new report done by Michigan State that takes a look at this suggests that Michigan is not doing so well. In fact, the report is called Michigan School Finance at the Crossroads, a Quarter Century of State Control. Michigan State University put this out in January of this year, and it has some alarming statistics. And joining me right now to talk about it is Lori Higgins. She was a longtime, of course, education reporter for the Detroit Free Press and now works with Chalkbeat Detroit, chalkbeat.org, which is a fantastic resource for anything, resource for anything to do with education. Uh, I love having them on the program. Lori, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and if you just look at the numbers, Lori, it suggests that, you know, every year there's a little bit more money going to schools. However, what we find is that Michigan has been investing far less than just about every other state in America when it comes to educating our kids. In fact, we rank dead last when it comes to education revenue growth since the mid 90s when Proposal A went into place. Uh that's one of the things that I don't think a lot of people think about. All they see is more money per pupil going in, maybe an extra $50, $100 here and there. 
in a few years. But in the reality, this has not even kept pace with inflation, has it? Correct. I mean, the the researchers at Michigan State um, adjusted for inflation and found that, um, as you said, Michigan does rank dead last. Um, Michigan's education revenue in 2015, which was the last year they looked at, was only about 82 percent of the state's 1995 revenue. And they said no other state is close to a decline of this magnitude. Um, uh, so, yeah, it is surprising. It, 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 it will be surprising to a, a lot of folks who have seen, you know, schools get funding increases every year. But those increases are not keeping um, up with inflation, um, which is, honestly is something that school officials have been saying for years. Um, you know, they've been saying that, you know, yeah, we're getting these funding increases, but they're not keeping pace with um with our increased costs. And, and not only that, with beyond the numbers, they say it's not, in, you know, keeping up with increased demands and expectations of schools. Well, certainly. And, and that's one of the things that this report points out is the fact that, that Michigan has put uh, new standards on, on schools. Uh, they've talked about grading schools and, of course, grading teacher performance. And there have been threats in the past of tying any funding increases to that performance, closing down the worst performing schools. Um, but other states have done the same thing. But the difference, it seems, is that Michigan hasn't put the resources behind it to demand that type of accountability. Right. I mean, you look at a state like Massachusetts, uh, which is, you know, a, a lot of folks consider the gold standard of, of education reform and in, in that they have seen significant improvement over the last 20 years. Um, but they, uh, you know, they had a, a very comprehensive approach to it in that they decided that in order to expect more of our schools and to get the kind of improvement we want, we need to invest in our schools. Um, And, you know, Michigan has invested more in early childhood education. You know, we have obviously seen the funding increases, but, you know, what this report is showing is that, you know, perhaps Michigan just isn't investing enough into education in order to see the kinds of gains that we want to see. And we have obviously seen from the, uh, you know, test scores in the last few years or last decade or so that Michigan is doing very poorly and is slipping behind um, many other states that are, you know, showing improvement. Well, and I want to go through some of the numbers that are in here, just some of the highlights that that you point out in your story at chalkbeat.org. Sixty uh, percent decline. Um, that's how much funding for at-risk students has declined since 2001. Sixty percent. Um, these are the kids that are, are in most need of support, uh, and, and we're seeing basically a decrease in, in investment in the most at-risk students, the kids that need the most support to actually meet the demands that uh, we're placing on students for performance these days. What's the justification for that, and what has been the explanation? I don't know that there's any justification for it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, will, I will say that for a long time, there had not been any increases in uh, categorical funding for at-risk students. Um, and, and in recent years, there have been increases. So that is a move in the right direction. However, you know, Michigan is still pretty far behind when it comes to, you know, providing um, the kinds of funding that at-risk students need. Um, and, and that's where this study and, and some other studies in, in the last couple of years have pointed out pretty strongly that you know, Michigan needs to have a weighted funding system that will provide additional funding that is part of the, the, the per pupil grant, additional funding that would go towards those needy students who 
um, you know, are struggling the most. My guest right now is Lori Higgins, a reporter with Chalkbeat.org. They cover educational issues here in Michigan. Uh, and and all right. So this tiered system that we're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. By putting the most funding behind the most at-risk students, the students that need, need the most help. And then when we're talking about help, we're talking potentially health care, uh, meals, uh, maybe even counseling uh, for some of these students to, to get over some of the deals and the hurdles that they have to deal with every day in their just regular existence. We have not been willing to do that. There still seems to be a resistance in Lansing uh, to this notion that there is a difference in the needs of these students. Uh, why is it that we are so stuck in this accountability and not willing to accept that some kids are starting from a different place than others? Um, I, I, I honestly think that there that people do recognize that. I, I just don't think that there's been a willingness to put the money behind it. Um, there, uh, there are also people that argue that um, you know school districts do often receive additional federal funds for those students. Um, but as, as we're seeing, you know, that those additional funds may not necessarily be meeting the needs of those students. Um, I, think there is a, I think there is a growing realization that, we, we, that, that Michigan, you know, needs to take a look at whether or not it should, you know, do more, not just with at-risk kids, but, but also with students with special education needs too. Uh, and students who are, you know, still learning English. Um, those are the three groups of students who, um, you know, arguably, you know, need additional funding that the 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 base amount that they that school districts re- receive for every student just isn't enough. Well, I, I want to read a quote from this report that uh, in your article that I think is as damning as anything I've seen. Uh, and this is from David Arson, who's the lead author of the report. He's also a professor of education policy at MSU. Here's what he said. Michigan has tried to improve schools on the cheap, focusing on more accountability and school choice. To make those policies effective, they have to be matched with adequate funding. We have to been we have been kidding ourselves to think we can move forward while cutting funding for schools. I don't think you can have it in any more black and white than that. Uh, what has been the reaction to this from from school officials at this point in time? Well, I think you know school officials have uh, are are really happy with this report, of course, because it is acknowledging things that they've been saying for years. Um, I, I think the question is, you know, will this report actually, you know, be viewed seriously uh, by education by you know policymakers in Michigan, or will it just, you know? sit on the shelf collecting dust. Um, I mean, that that will be the key thing. I, I mean, I think there have been some critics that have said, um, you know, that have criticized the, the, the study itself and um, the way they used um, inflation numbers. Um, uh, and and I, I think that lawmakers, you know, who feel like they, they've been doing enough to provide funding for schools are not necessarily happy with the uh, overall conclusion that Michigan is is uh, shortchanging its schools. Well, I, it certainly seems that uh, there are some clues that that maybe there's a problem here when you have fewer people getting into the profession of teaching at all because they don't like the economic outlook of it. So many people leaving the profession mid-career uh, shortages that we have in a number of districts across the state. Do you get a sense, I mean, when you talk to the Whitmer administration and, and this incoming administration, do they have a better handle on this than the previous administration? Because what we saw in Lame Duck was them shifting more money away from the school aid fund uh, to things like road repairs and and uh, infrastructure problems. Right. And that continues a trend that's been happening, you know, for you know a number of years now and, and going to the school aid fund and, 
you know, using that money for other purposes. Um, it, ne it hasn't necessarily meant that schools have seen a funding cut um, on the surface. However, you know, that is money that could have been going to the schools. As, as far as the Whitmer administration, I, I, I'm not really sure about that. I don't know whether or not they have a better grasp of it. I think that, um, you know, the governor said last week um, at a campaign, not a campaign stop, but while she was visiting um, with residents and um, and uh, somewhere in Michigan that, you know, she was planning to um, unveil some, you know, a, a major part of her plan for improving schools. And, you know, the question is, do, will school funding be a part of this? Um, I, I don't know. I guess we'll have to tune in to see. Uh, well, and, and she's been she's been sort of coy about what she plans to do with this, suggesting that a lot of her spending priorities won't be outlined until her budget uh, comes out. I believe in March is when they're going to unveil the next budget for for the year. So we may have to wait until then. Uh, in the meantime, you know, you talk to some people in, in some pretty big districts, places like Farmington, obviously, and also a couple of different alliances, uh, the Tri-County Alliance for Public Education, which is Macomb, Oakland and Wayne counties. Uh, do you get a sense that there is some political movement there and that the education community is going to be leading the charge on getting this changed? Yeah, I mean, I think we've already seen that happening. Um, you know, this report is, is is in many ways kind of a follow up to the, the big report that came out about a year ago from uh, the School Finance uh, Research Collaborative that, um, you know, looked at uh, school funding in Michigan and recommended some, you know, major changes for fixing the school funding system. Um, this report from MSU uh, sort of, you know, used a lot of the recommendations that were made in that earlier report. Um, and, and I will say that that earlier report, you know, they have been pushing, you know, since that report came out, um, school leaders have been pretty aggressive and, uh, uh, you know, sort of attacking this issue. And, you know, they, they hope to make it a major part of the governor's campaign last year. I don't know that that necessarily sort of materialized, but they, they haven't let go. I mean, they are, um, you know, very uh, outspoken about the need to address this issue. And it, they may feel that they have, you know, someone in the governor's office who might be willing to listen. Um, the question is whether or not the governor's office will be able to work with lawmakers to make something happen. Well, that is always the challenge in divided government. So we shall see. But Lori Higgins, we appreciate the perspective. Uh, and if you would like to read more about this, her story, is, of course, is at chalkbeat.org. Just it says locations. Just click on Detroit right there and you can see all the stories uh, that are going on and, and really uh, great coverage of, of education here in the state. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, Craig. The Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Also, home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor, and The Trip, wise relationship advice with hosts Megan Slattery and Tracy Evans. Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Welcome back to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Glad to have you with me on this Tuesday. Hope everybody's staying warm. I know I keep saying it. I keep talking about it, but it is top of mind for all of us right now. And again, it is top of mind for a lot of us right now because we have to do something with our kids. And yes, we focused a little bit on education spending already in the program, and we'll talk about school closings in just a little bit. But I wanted to talk about people that are dealing with what to do with their kids every single day. Once they get to be school age, it becomes easy. Public schools in particular are something we pay for with our tax dollars. So basically, in effect, 
you get the double bonus of getting your kids educated and having somebody take care of them while you're off working to support your family. Now, before your kids are school age, their options are limited. The state has expanded preschool programs, but that's only for four-year-olds. What do you do between the ages of one and three? Many of us simply don't have the luxury to be a stay-at-home parent. It's not something that we can do. Two jobs, often, to make ends meet. If you're a single parent, of course you've got to work to make sure that your child will be taken care of. So you have to send your kid to daycare. And the problem is, is that daycare is incredibly expensive. It can be $300 a week in some situations, even more, depending on where you decide to send your kid. Now think about that for just a second. $300 a week to take care of a toddler at a high-quality daycare center. And we all want to send our kids to high-quality daycare centers. That's not negotiable. But a parent working 40 hours a week, 40 hours a week for the minimum wage of $9.25 an hour in Michigan earns about $370 before taxes in a week. That's before taxes, which means which means that after you take out the taxes, they're not even making enough money to cover the cost of child care at a high-quality center. Tuition at a good child care provider is about equal to tuition at a public university. That is not something that working families can afford. There typically aren't tuition grants or, or uh, scholarships available to toddlers. It just doesn't happen. You've got to pay this or you don't have it. So what you have is a situation where many families are relying on family members, grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends, anybody that can help them with a childcare situation. And the one good thing about sending a kid to daycare is they do get socialized. They do learn things. They learn to play. They learn to interact. And in many instances, they are learning things like the alphabet. Some kids I've seen getting reading lessons as early as two and three years old at the good childcare centers. Now, the thing is, in many states... They recognize the importance of people having access to quality child care so people can actually go to work to make ends meet. We should not be paying an entire week's worth of salary to send our kids to daycare. So in many states, they sit there and say, all right, if you are at or above a certain level of the poverty line, we will subsidize this and we will cover some of the costs of your child care. So think about this. In a state like, let's just do this one, the top of the scale, you've got Vermont. The maximum amount you can earn to be eligible for some sort of assistance with child care is $60,000 a year. Now, $60,000 a year is huge. As a percentage of the poverty level, that's 296%, almost 300% of the poverty level. That's pretty, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. And that's something that is very, very helpful. And as a percentage of the median income in that state, that's 85% of the median income. So basically, it is middle class and below getting some assistance with child care. That's in Vermont, $60,000 at the top of the scale. Let's go to the bottom of the scale here. What state do you think is at the bottom of the scale? You're right, Michigan. Think about this. The maximum income you can make in Michigan to qualify for some assistance with your child care is $25,000 a year. That's about 123% of the poverty level, 38% of the state's median income. But think about that, $25,000 a year. That is a ridiculously low amount. At the other end of the spectrum, again, you have states like Vermont, Maine, Colorado, D.C., Massachusetts at 224% of the poverty level. Think about those numbers for just a second. A recognition that people are working hard and putting all their money towards child care just so they can make ends meet. 
So Michigan has the lowest income limit for child care assistance in the nation at 123% of the federal poverty line. So basically a family of three, again, has to earn less than $25,000 a year to qualify for state child care aid. That is an absurdly low number. $25,000 for a family of three is barely enough to get by, to eat, let alone pay for high-quality child care. There needs to be more funding throughout the system. There needs to be a recognition that working families, just because they're employed, still need help. We have a situation where people work full-time and qualify for Medicaid. We should be helping them with this most important thing, and that is quality child care. Because we talk all the time about making sure kids are prepared for school when they get there. Well, good quality child care is a huge part of that. It's a huge predictor as to whether or not kids are going to be successful and reading at grade level by the third grade, which is something that we have stressed over and over again. But we continue, we continue to be cheap when it comes to our kids. This outdated notion that somehow just pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps is going to be enough to get this done is just not realistic. I don't care what the unemployment number says. Because that does not talk to the quality of the jobs that are out there, the level of pay that is out there, what is happening with salaries. It doesn't address that stuff. There's about $63 million in unused federal child care dollars floating around the state right now that could be put towards helping these people get the child care and the quality child care that they need just so they can put food on the table. The state needs to think about this. Now, again... The Whitmer administration has yet to say whether or not this is something they're going to support, an increase in the level of income that that one would still qualify for assistance. Because are you telling me there's a difference between somebody making $25,000 a year and $30,000 a year in terms of how much money they have to put away for this kind of stuff? Child care is expensive. When my kid was in daycare, I had a pretty good job, as did my wife, and it still was a struggle for us. It was a real struggle for us to make those ends meet when you consider all the other costs that you have with little kids. And the fact is, it's not the 1950s anymore. There's not a situation where one of the parents can stay home. In most families, both people need to work to maintain a lifestyle that's going to work, to maintain a lifestyle that is going to give these children an opportunity to thrive. We need to stop being so damn cheap in Michigan. I'm hoping that somebody does something about this. Child care costs are going up. They're not going down. You have a situation where families who are enrolled at daycare centers can't pay tuition, and then those kids are told to leave, find something else to do. That's a terrible situation. And we put these child care centers in that position because they're basically operating on a shoestring budget as it is. People who work in daycare situations, they're not being paid a whole lot of money. There's not a ton of cash out there. It's not like they're just, you know, wasting this cash or it's money going down a bottomless pit. It's not. These are people taking care of our children. And we are nickeling and diming the system, making the people who need it the most unable to participate in a system that could, could help their kids be ready for school. Child care costs are really, really ridiculous. And I just said $300 a week. $1,200 a month. Think about that. $1,200 a month for child care. Add that up. What does that add up to? And if you're making $26,000 a year, you don't qualify for any assistance from the state. That's obscene. 
These are the exact people that need high-quality child care. We need to do something about this. And this isn't something that's just impacting people who are at the poverty line. This is something that is impacting a ton of people across the state. You have to come up with a better system. Because if you look at what's happening with school funding, you look at what's happening for funding for child care, what message are we sending about our priorities here in the state? I say this all the time. Every single thing we do sends a message about how competitive we're going to be as a state, how welcoming we're going to be, and how much of a nurturing environment we can create for families. We are sending a really strong message right now that we don't give a damn. I, for one, am sick of it. I'm not sure what the answer is, but when you take a look at these numbers... We need to do something. Michigan can no longer afford to be dead last in anything. Because guess what? Pretty soon, people in Mississippi are going to be laughing at us. So yeah, we always sit there and joke and call ourselves Mississippi. Well, guess what? I don't think we have any bragging rights right now. Hopefully, hopefully we do something to correct it. Stay with me. Got some thoughts on school days coming up. I promise I'll lighten up a little bit. This is the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. And welcome back to the Craig Folly Show here on Deadline Detroit. Glad to have you with me on this Tuesday. And uh, it's a snow day for a lot of kids in Metro Detroit. Tomorrow is likely to be another snow day. Actually, it'll be a cold day probably for many, many students here in southeast Michigan and, and really all over the Midwest as temperatures plunge into the single digits and below with wind chills, of course, in the negative teens, maybe even more, depending on where you are. It is going to be cold, and that's a legitimate reason to close schools. I don't necessarily want to talk about the, the, the where and why schools decide to close and when they decide to close. All I can say, though, is that the reaction to the way that the schools are doing this has been really sort of ridiculous in the last few days. Now, granted, we were expecting a big snowstorm, and schools knowing that, okay, the, the worst of it's going to be in the middle of the day. We don't want our buses sliding all over the place. We don't want kids having trouble getting to school. Uh, we don't want kids waiting uh, in a blizzard for a school bus, things along those lines. That all makes a lot of sense. Now, technology has gotten us to the point where we can predict the weather a lot more accurately than we used to be able to. And schools technically can make decisions sometimes 12, 14 hours in advance of when these storms are supposed to hit, and sometimes they miss, but more often than not, they're closed for the right reasons. But the reaction to it from the parents is what is cracking me up the most, because this is a total get-off-my-lawn kind of moment here for us adults. We're complaining that the principals are giving us too much notice. Well, when I was a kid, we never closed school. These kids are soft today. Well, no, they're not. They're just making the right decision based on the kid's safety. They're making a judgment call. And sometimes it's right, sometimes they miss. But nobody's doing this intentionally to harm you. And I realize, I realize scrambling for child care, especially when you've got to go to work, is a difficult thing. We talked a little bit about that earlier in the program today. But the level of outrage I've seen <laughs> going out towards school officials about saying the night before, well, we should be open in the morning, but we're going to make a judgment call by 6 a.m., well, that should give you at least an alert that there's a possibility there. 
And granted, they did come back the next day in certain districts suggesting that, yes, we are indeed going to close today. And then, of course, the snow didn't start till after school started. So a lot of people complained about that, saying that they're crying wolf and that this wasn't that bad of a storm and it was warm. We should have gone to school. Relax, everybody. It is about safety. It is about making sure that our kids aren't getting frostbitten or school bus isn't sliding off the road. That's what it's about. And I realize it makes things difficult, and it's easy for me to say now that my kid is in college and he's not necessarily being pulled out of school, and I'm not having to make plans for him to not be bored all day or have something for him to do or finding care for him. So I'm not necessarily in a position to to feel your pain or your anxiety on this issue. But I also don't think it's fair for us to overstate, you know, just how much more difficult we had it when we were younger. Maybe we did. I don't know. But we we had a lot of snow days when I was a kid. We had a bunch of them. And when you're a kid, you love snow days. You didn't care if the announcement came the night before or the morning of. In fact, that was part of the excitement, sitting by the radio, waiting to see if your school was on the list. And more often than not, the district I went to was not on the list because we didn't have bus service. Most of the kids either walked to school or got a ride. And so we didn't close very often unless it was really extreme situations. A lot of districts don't have that luxury. Kids are going miles and miles to school on buses. So it's not as easy a call today as it used to be, given how spread out some of these communities have become, how far a lot of these kids have to go. In fact, you have a number of kids who are crossing district lines, going from different cities across town to get kids to school. So as much notice as they can give, yes, it is appreciated. But they're trying their hardest. Give them a little bit of a break on this one. And remember... It is a snow day. The kids, hopefully, will get a chance to enjoy it. And if you get a little extra time with your kids, yeah, take advantage of that. Enjoy that if you can, too. But this isn't a case of the districts being soft or our kids not being strong enough to deal with this kind of stuff. We're just a lot smarter than we used to be about these things. We have an idea of what these storms are going to bring, and we have to make judgment calls still to this day. So hopefully, you weren't caused too much inconvenience, Hopefully, you didn't get false hope and then your school stayed open, or you didn't get false hope that it would be open and it was closed. But reserve your wrath for things that really, really matter when it comes to your kid's education, like whether or not the teachers are getting the resources they need to do the job, that your kids have the supplies that they need to get the job done, that the state is paying enough to make sure that your kids get the education they deserve. That's the stuff to be upset about. Enjoy the snow day if you can. I'm kind of jealous because I have to go to work in this stuff. But that's okay. Stay warm. Hopefully you got a nice, good furnace there. You got a fire going in the fireplace, something along those lines. And maybe the kids are having a good day just hanging out with mom or mom and dad or whoever's there. Snow days are fun. Let's try to keep them that way. Have a great day, everybody. Stay warm. We'll talk tomorrow. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services.